The 2022 NFL Draft is officially a month away. Looking back at John Snyder and Pete Carroll's past 12 drafts, which ones stand out as the worst ones they've had during their tenures in Seattle? Rob Rang and I are going to be debating and much more on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We've got another great episode coming your way. Going to be breaking down some of the top quarterback prospects in the 2022 NFL Draft. And Rob and I are going to be debating which draft classes in the last 12 years stand out as the worst ones for John Schneider and Pete Carroll as we draw closer to the 2022 NFL draft. Let's get rolling. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Last year, Seattle surprised a lot of people by maintaining status quo at the center position. They had a chance to draft Creed Humphrey, ended up picking D. Eskridge. They also had an opportunity to sign Corey Lindsley and a number of veteran centers in free agency. Instead, they decided to bring back Ethan Posick and Kyle Fuller, their same centers from the previous season. That's not going to happen this time around, though. With Posick being a free agent once again, the Seahawks decided not to bring him back. They signed Austin Blythe a few weeks ago, and now Posick is taking his talents to the shores of Lake Erie today, agreeing to terms with the Cleveland Browns on a one-year deal. He's going to get a chance to compete against Nick Harris, formerly of the University of Washington. Those two are going to be battling to replace J.C. Treader in Cleveland. And this is an interesting development, Rob, because we know that the Browns have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, but Treader's departure as a cap casualty created a big hole in the middle. And now maybe Posick ends up landing in a better spot for himself, having all of that offensive line talent around him. And of course, he's got to beat out Harris as well, but a good com- a good competition situation for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, it is. And I think that, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, Corbin, that if you have a really talented offensive line, then you're going to be inserted as part of the puzzle rather than being the missing link, so to speak. Then uh, I think that it is obviously a lot easier uh, to play football. And you go back to what Ethan Posick did very well in Seattle and previously at the LSU Tigers team that would run the ball right down your throats. Of course, that's exactly what the Cleveland Browns are, are looking to do. Ethan Posick has the experience of blocking for a relatively short and athletic quarterback, obviously, and Russell Willis is get that get that same opportunity probably uh, for, for Baker Mayfield. We will see uh, what, what they decide to do. Obviously, Deshaun Watson is well there. Um, and, and so to me, that that is a it's a savvy move by the Cleveland Browns because as you mentioned, they already have a, a young up-and-coming center, at least in my opinion, Nick Harris, who I think is a better scheme fit for them. Them, both Ethan Posick and the, the positional versatility, the starting experience that he provides, I, I think that it was a really nice signing by the Cleveland Browns. But at the same time, I think it could be one of those things where it's a positive via a negative 
um, you know, for, for CL because obviously you're losing a player, Ethan Postic, who let's, let's give him some credit. I mean, his, uh, you know, emergence at, at Seattle Center towards the second half of last season coincided with Rashad Penny's big run. Now, you know, whether or not that, that uh, Postic had a critical role in that, you know, that, that's debatable a little bit, I think. Um, but at the same time, I think that, that Seattle is missing out on a guy who obviously did start for you for a while. But at the same time, I do think that Austin Blythe is a upgrade. So I, I think this is a case where, where Seattle is, is basically feels like they, they understood this was the risk um, by not bringing back Ethan Posick. But you have a solid starter now that you brought back in Austin Blythe, who obviously has a great deal of experience in what Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson are looking to do. And then I, I tip of the cap to, to Ethan Posick. I wish him well in Cleveland. Yeah, I do as well, because I thought with all the injuries that he battled the last couple of years, and he's obviously been a battering ram for criticism for Seahawks fans, and that's kind of been a chronic thing for offensive linemen playing in Seattle over the years. But as you mentioned, his presence was, in my opinion, I think it was a big deal when you're looking at Rashad Penny's emergence late in the season, because that was the best that I have seen Posick play as a run blocker those last six or seven games and even pro football focus I don't always agree with them they don't always agree with me when it comes to assessing players but he had the 10th best run blocking grade among qualified centers last year and you could see that on film with that being said the Seahawks were in a position where they felt they could go get an upgrade and Austin Blythe is a player that you and I were throwing a name around last offseason when he became a free agent coming from the Rams. He'd been a starter the previous three seasons, two of those years as a guard, one of those years at center. He's a player that had a very high run blocking grade for those three seasons. His pass protection has been a little bit iffy at times. He's been inconsistent in that capacity, but his past experience, his familiarity with Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson, the fact that he was a three-year starter for the Rams, one of the best offenses in the NFL, and he fit in so well in that scheme. On a one-year deal worth $4 million, that seems like a reasonable investment. They knew what they had in Ethan Posick. They felt they could potentially do better with Austin Blythe being the guy. I still think that this is a position, though, that could be addressed in the draft as well. I think you look at it, a one-year deal for Blythe, Maybe he ends up being a multi-year starter for them. He has a good year. They might give him a, a multi-year contract next offseason. But they're going to be going into this on a one-year deal. It's a proven opportunity for him after playing less than 20 snaps for the Chiefs last year, had injuries he battled, was behind Creed Humphrey. He's going to get that chance to prove himself. But you look at the depth behind. Kyle Fuller struggled when he played last year. Dakota Shepley, we haven't gotten to see him play in any regular season football. So we don't really know what Seattle has here. It still looks to me like a position, and we'll have more opportunities to break this down as we get closer to the draft next month. But it feels like this is still a spot they could be fairly aggressive looking for their long-term center, maybe even a guy that can push Austin Blythe for playing time right away. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I think that uh, number nine overall would seem a little bit rich. Um, you know, Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa is the consensus top center in this year's draft class. I do expect him to go in the first round, probably more in that mid portion of the first round. So should trader John Schneider, uh, you know, live up to his reputation, they move down a little bit, then then certainly Linderbaum is an is a possibility. Cam Jurgen, somebody that you and I have talked about, you know, previously from the University of Nebraska might be a possibility in the second or third round. Um, so there are some center candidates in this in this draft class that I think would make some 
some sense. There's also some veterans still out there, but I think as it stands right now, it seems pretty clear that uh, Austin Blythe is going to be your your center, your starting center. Um, and, and I thought it was interesting the way that Schneider has kind of talked up Kyle Fuller a little bit. It is his play last year. I thought was disappointing as we talked about, but still, um, obviously the general manager believes in him. Um, and, and then as you mentioned with um, Dakota Shepley, and then with Dakota Shepley, as you mentioned, we've not actually seen what he can do on an NFL field, but of course the Seahawks have. They've been able to evaluate him. So the fact that that he is still someone that, that Seattle is, you know, Schneider mentioned him by name a couple of weeks ago. I think that that's interesting as well. We're only a month away from draft season. So over the next couple of days, Rob and I are going to be taking a look at some of the past 12 draft classes that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have assembled. And today we're going to be looking at the negative, some of the worst classes that they've had in their 12 prior seasons calling the shots for the Seahawks. Before we get there, after months of playing college basketball, finally has reached the final four. We've got four blue blood programs that are going to be duking it out, not to be a pun there with Duke being one of them, for this year's national champion. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info from all the latest odds, contests, and player props. You name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and wagering informational needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Make sure to head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I am Corbin Smith. Joining me, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And don't forget to check out the Locked On NFL podcast. We've got experts for all 32 teams that come in with analysis and insight on their respective teams. It's five days a week on YouTube. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all major platforms. So make sure to subscribe and download. Check out the awesome Locked On NFL podcast John Schneider and Pete Carroll now heading into their 13th season at the helm together. That's a long time for a general manager and a head coach to be together in the National Football League, but that's what the Seahawks have. They have continuity at both positions. Two guys that know each other extremely well have worked really well together, and they've certainly had plenty of high moments when it comes to drafting, especially early in their tenure. But like all general managers and head coaches, there have certainly been some drafts that did not pan out. And so what we're going to be doing the next couple of days, Rob, going to be taking a step back, looking at those past 12 drafts that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have assembled together. And today we're going to start off with more of a negative approach. The classes that didn't necessarily pan out for the Seahawks. And it feels like there's been more of them recently than what there was early in their tenure. With that being said, Rob, I'm going to give you the mic here first. Which class from those past 12 jumps out to you immediately as the weakest one that they have had during their time in Seattle? Well, I think that if you just look at and just the sheer number of starts that the players had, both for the Seahawks uh, and for other teams out, out there in the NFL, I think you have to go all the way back to that 2013 draft class, Corbin. And, you know, and before I start highlighting some of these players that, that Seattle drafted that year that did not wind up living to expectations, 
you know, you, you know, I think that we've always kind of tried to keep our, our show as positive. And I think that that's one of the things we got to kind of remember here is that we're looking at this draft class. I'm not trying to, to bash the players, not even really trying to bash John Schneider or his scouts or Pete Carroll and his coaches, but just what are some of the, the things that Seattle can learn from some of the drafts in the past that did not pan out the way they need to? Because obviously, very, very, very clearly, the Seahawks have to capitalize on, on the, the all the different draft picks that they got from the Russell Wilson trade and this new opportunity to, to refresh the roster. So, again, the, the 2013 draft class is the one that really jumps out to me. Just from the very beginning, the, the very first pick that the Seattle selected, number 62 overall, was the running back Christian Michael from Texas A&M. You know, Chris and Michael, we, we saw what he could be, saw some of the, the flashy athletic ability, but just didn't see any type of consistency, uh, you know, any time I really want to from him. Never felt like, it, like he took it as seriously as perhaps that he should. And, and that, to me, would be one of the number one things that I would take away from this is that that's where Seattle, I thought, started to drift away from the guys who just lived, breathed, and loved football. And to me, that should be one of their priorities, certainly with this upcoming draft class. There's also some guys who unfortunately had injuries and their medical issues. You just kind of absolutely wreak havoc on their career. Theron Simon, uh, the cornerback from LSU, just never could quite get right. Certainly Jesse Williams, uh, the, the big defensive lineman from Alabama, never could get quite physically right. And so you know, we, we think about some of the busts in, in Seattle's, uh, you know, time here with John Steiner, Pete Carroll, Malik McGowell will be one that really jumps out to my mind. You can say what you will about the fact that, that he had he came in with all kinds of off-field concerns and things like that. No one could have predicted the specifics of what actually happened that led Seattle having to move on from Malik McDowell. But with some of these other players that we talked about in the past, they did have recurring injury issues. And so to me, again, that's one of the things that we can kind of learn from some of Seattle's mistakes in the past. Yeah, you might be looking more at what they can learn, and I'll take that stance too. But I also, you know what? Constructive criticism is a good thing. And that 2013 draft class just plain stunk. There's no other way to look at it. I mean, if I could smell, and I can't, but if I could, uh, I think it would be comparable to going out to a barn in the Midwest that hasn't been cleaned out for a while. That's how bad this 2013 draft class was. And no offense to Luke Wilson, because you and I have great respect for Luke Wilson. I think he's been, you know, he was one of the better reserve tight ends in the NFL for a long time. He carved out an eight-year career as a day three selection coming out of Rice. Fantastic career for him. but. He was easily the best player the Seahawks had in that draft class, and there really wasn't any competition. They had a running back named Spencer Ware that had some decent years in Kansas City, but he never did anything in Seattle because of Marshawn Lynch and Robert Turbin and some of those guys being in Seattle. There was nowhere for him to play. There wasn't a spot on the depth chart for him. That was your second best player. Aside from Luke Wilson, they didn't have a single guy in this 11-player draft class that had more than eight starts. And then you had a player like Chris Harper who came in as a fourth rounder that didn't even make it out of the preseason on the roster. He got cut, never made a catch in an NFL game. And he was a guy that they picked in the fourth round. Obviously not a first rounder, but you expect a player like that that you pick in the middle rounds is at least going to be able to come in and compete. And he just never really had a fighting chance from day one. It just didn't work out for him. And so you look at some of the other players in this class, Jordan Hill, I thought had a lot of promise, but he was another one, could not stay healthy, had one year that he produced a number of sacks, and then the next couple of years was banged up, 
didn't produce, and then suddenly he was out of the league, and that's the way that it works. So this was just – it was a draft class that just was atrocious. There's no other way to put it. When your best athlete, the one you picked in the second round of Christian Michael, you picked him right before Travis Kelsey gets picked by the Kansas City Chiefs. We know how that played out. There just – there weren't any picks that really jumped out, aside from Luke Wilson, that were really difference makers or even guys that were role players. They just didn't have anybody that really fit that bill. Coming in at number two for me, I've got to give a very close second place to the 2017 draft class. Now, the difference between these two, you got Chris Carson in the seventh round, 2,000-yard rushing seasons. That's an outstanding draft pick. David Moore in the seventh round coming from a tiny little school in Oklahoma. He was a contributor as a number three receiver for a number of seasons for Seattle. Shaquille Griffin ended up being a Pro Bowl corner. Ethan Posick ultimately ended up being a solid player. But that was also the class that you had Malik McDowell, whether that was, you know, that obviously was not their fault, the ATV accident. They couldn't have planned for that. But still, that is a huge miss for you that that did not work out. And then they had a bunch of third round picks that year. And only one of them, Shaquille Griffin, panned out. The other three started a combined eight games. And only one of them lasted through his entire rookie contract. That was Lano Hill, who quite frankly never became anything more than a special teams player. They didn't have a lot of value on day three until the seventh round. So, yeah, it wasn't a horrific class necessarily, but you had so many resources on day two. And on, you know, you just had all these picks in the second and third round. And really the only hit that they had was Shaquille Griffin. Posick was solid when he was healthy and otherwise they whiffed. And so that class comes into me because of the draft capital that they had. To me, that was the second worst class that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have had in their past 12 years here in Seattle. Yeah, see, I, I, I might argue the 2014 draft class is right there with you, but I think you make a really good point about the just the number of draft assets that Seattle had on day two. They had two second-round selections that year, in part because they traded down uh, initially out of the first round uh, and, and still wound up taking the player they were going to take in the first round. Make no mistake about it. They were going to take Malik McDowell in the first round, thought better of a trade, back a little bit, got the second round pick, and then still wound up taking Malik McDowell. And if, as we talked about, you know, that that's, that's history. It is what it is. Um, but at the same time, the fact that they had the two second round picks, they had four third round picks. And again, Sha uh, Shaquille, uh, Shaquille Griffin, excuse me, wound up being a terrific player for the Seahawks and now for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But other than that, I mean, guys like Amaro Darbo, I mean, the very first time I saw him, uh, in training camp, I just thought this is a your third round pick. I just didn't think I didn't just didn't see much juice out of him the the entire time. Um, you know, unfortunately, he wound up not having uh, much of a of an NFL career. And then the same thing with the, the safeties. There there was just so much talk that this was going to be kind of the rebuilding of the Legion of Boom. Um, you know, Tedrick Thomas and Delano Hill that they were going to be the you know that that new starting safety tandem. And my goodness, I mean, you couldn't even you know, get through any games with them playing any type of reliable, consistent football where you, I mean, you'd see some flashes from Lano Hill. You'd see some uh, opportunities from, uh, you know, from Thompson or uh, that, you know, he'd, he'd make a play in practice or something like that. But it just what it, was, it never felt like there were back to back days or back to back games where you thought you could start to build on something. It was just like two steps forward, one step back. And that was kind of how the whole 2017 class was just in general. Yeah, it really was a group where you had a few players that rose to the occasion. I mean, Chris Carson's a great story, yes. being a seventh rounder, what he became 
as a multi-time thousand-yard rusher, especially considering the severe injury he had his rookie season to bounce back and be that productive the next couple of years. And David Moore is a good story. And Shaquille Griffin had a very solid first four years, not necessarily a star, but like we said, he became a Pro Bowl corner. So those picks worked out. It's just you had so many picks in early rounds, and they weren't really able to take advantage of it. And then guys like Tedrick Thompson that they drafted, viewing them as potential future starters, and when they get their opportunities, it just didn't work out. And so that class stands out to me. I also look at the 2016 class where Jermaine Fetty started a lot of games but wasn't necessarily good for them, and then you had Jaron Reed, and after that there was a huge drop-off as well and a number of misses in the middle rounds. And so that has kind of been the chronic issue for the last several drafts. Uh, We'll talk about it tomorrow. There has been one recently that looks like it's going to be pretty good, but a lot of the more recent drafts, they have had a lot of issues with missing on a lot of their day two picks, not being able to find some of the gems that they used to find in the later rounds. And you are going to have drafts end up like that. Even the best football minds are going to have drafts that don't end up being great because it truly is a crapshoot in a lot of ways and you're throwing a dart at a board, you know, partially blindfolded. You do your work behind the scenes, but you never necessarily know on guarantees in the draft. And so that's what makes this time of year both fun, exciting, and extremely difficult and challenging at the same time. We're going to continue talking draft here in a moment, looking at quarterbacks. Russell Wilson's in Denver. The Seahawks have Drew Locke. Maybe he's their guy, but this certainly could be a draft where they're looking for that future long-term starter. We're going to be breaking down several prospects for this year's class when we come back in the third quarter. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They have reliably low prices for every single customer, and they have everything you could absolutely need. They've got brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solutions to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, All the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Russell Wilson was traded to the Denver Broncos earlier this month. And unless you've been hiding under a rock, this has been known for several weeks And now Denver getting the opportunity to see Russell Wilson throwing at some of their standout receivers at his place in Southern California. So I know a lot of Seahawks fans, they're struggling with this breakup right now. But here's the good news. Anytime that you go through a breakup, eventually you're going to have another opportunity. You're going to meet someone else. In the case of an NFL team, you can go get yourself a quarterback in the NFL draft. Rob, this is not viewed as a great quarterback class. And we've had a chance to talk about a number of these prospects already over previous episodes, but this is going to continue to be a topic of discussion because even if this isn't viewed as a great quarterback class, all it takes is one team believing in a certain prospect and having the right pieces around that player 
for that guy to be a good fit. We saw that with Russell Wilson as a third round selection. Nobody would have thought that he would become the player that he did in Seattle. So if one of these five or six players that we talk about right now is a player that the Seahawks fell in love with, who cares what the draft experts think? You go and you get that player. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's been 29 years, Corbin, since the Seahawks have invested a first-round pick in a quarterback. 1993, number two overall, Rick Meyer, University of Notre Dame. And, and that, that's the thing is that, uh, you know, I mean, it's just been so incredibly long since the Seahawks have uh, have used a first-round pick, obviously never during the Pete Carroll, John Schneider era. You know, Russell Wilson's the highest that they've ever used a pick on a quarterback, number 75 overall. Matt Hasbeck was brought in by a trade, uh, you know, by, you know, obviously in the previous regime with Mike Holmgren. So it, it's it, it maybe this is the time that, that Seattle will go for one of these quarterbacks. And I think that you, you look at a, a player like a Malik Willis, for example, at Liberty, and just in, what an incredible athlete. Um, and then the fact that, that John Schneider has basically, uh, you know, just shown his hand a touch in the way that he would go to some of the other quarterback workouts in the past, but not just everyday guys. He was at, at the Patrick Mahomes workout. He's the Josh Allen workout. He, the, the guys who wound up becoming superstars. And, and so it just kind of shows that, uh, that he knows elite talent when he sees it. And I think that when you see Malik Willis, then you can see that there's talent there. Now, it's going to take some time to develop him. He's playing a very quarterback-friendly offense at Liberty against quite, you know pretty weak competition. But again, you can just see the talent that he possesses. And I think that Pete Carroll might be even more intrigued by a guy like Matt Corral from Ole Miss um, or Kenny Pickett, probably the most pro-ready of this year's quarterbacks. I and mean, if you want a guy who's going to be able to come in and potentially wrestle away the starting job the way that Russell Wilson did all those years ago, then Kenny Pickett's probably the guy you got to be looking at. And as you just mentioned, there, there's going to be a lot of draft analysts out there. There's going to be a lot of NFL teams out there who are not going to view a quarterback as worthy uh, the number nine overall selection. But who cares? If the Seahawks feel that that's the case, then you should take one of these quarterbacks in the first round because, of course, you get that fifth-year option on their rookie contract. It allows the team to be that much more competitive for a full year longer um, just because we know how uh, bloated quarterback contracts especially can get. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think if Seattle finds themselves falling in love with one of these quarterbacks at number nine, at number nine overall, then then have the courage to make your pick and compete. Yeah, we've had a lot of listeners. If you look at the comments, and trust me, our listeners that follow us on YouTube, we see your comments. We try to react and we try to respond to as many as we can. And there have been plenty of you that have been saying, stay away from quarterbacks in the first round. And Typically, I would agree. I mean, you don't want to reach for any position group. And so quarterback, especially, you don't want to pick the wrong guy at number nine. That can set you back for years if you don't make that pick work. But I like that you mentioned John Schneider's history because I understand skepticism at certain positions. And they have not had to draft a quarterback, really. They drafted Alex Magoo in the seventh round. I mean, seventh round quarterbacks very rarely are going to pan out. So shouldn't be criticized for that pick. They haven't really picked any other quarterback since Russell Wilson was picked in the third round in 2012. So we haven't had a chance to really see him go out and draft quarterbacks. But those reports about him checking out Josh Allen, being interested in Patrick Mahomes, like those were not things that we found out like a year or two after they came in the league. 
We found that out on the day that these players were drafted by the Bills and the Chiefs. It's not like this was, you know, revisional history two years later, like, oh, John Schneider really liked this guy. We found out before we ever saw either one of them take an NFL field that that was a player that he was interested in, that he had scouted himself personally. And so I think that in terms of his eye for quarterback talent, everybody's going to say, well, look at Charlie Whitehurst and Matt Flynn. I mean, Matt Flynn, I think they could have won games with. Russell Wilson just came in and he was the better quarterback. And that's maybe the situation they're hoping they can fall into this year. You know, We like Drew Locke and we think in our system he can be successful. But if we go get a guy like Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati or Matt Corral from Mississippi that can come in and just flat out beat him out in camp and preseason, hey, that's a big win for us. We got a rookie quarterback that just beat out our veteran that has a chance to be really good right away and develop into one of the top quarterbacks of the NFL I don't know that they fall into that situation again, but my point is I think fans should have more faith in John Schneider's ability to evaluate quarterback talent than they should maybe at some of the other positions, at least based on what we have seen and what we know. If they don't pick a quarterback in the first couple rounds, that would tell me that he didn't necessarily have a guy that jumped out to him from this class, and that very well could be how it plays out. But if they are going to pick a quarterback, you mentioned Malik Willis. I just threw out the name Desmond Ritter. He does not have the biggest arm of these top quarterbacks, but he's very accurate. And what I love about him, the moxie in the pocket, the poise, his running ability. This is a guy that had 30 touchdowns and just eight interceptions last year at Cincinnati. He started a bunch of games. The Bearcats' ascendance to being a nationally relevant team, it went along with the arrival of Desmond Ritter as their quarterback. I could see him being a guy that maybe not even just Schneider, but I think that Pete Carroll would be enamored by because he doesn't turn the football over very much. He makes smart decisions. He has the ability to anticipate throws, uh, anticipate throwing windows, get his receivers open, and he can make those tough throws over the middle of the field that we never necessarily saw Russell Wilson make consistently. So there are some things that jump out that I think would really stand out to Pete Carroll with him. And you could maybe say the same thing on you know some different characteristics about Sam Howell with the big arm that he's got, the ability to run. He had almost 900 rushing yards last year. There are some quarterbacks in this group that do check off a lot of the boxes that the Seahawks look for at the position. Oh, there certainly are. And, and and Pete Carroll's already kind of talked about that. He does not believe that you have to have an elite quarterback to win in the NFL. And frankly, I agree with him. I think if you want to win fantasy football titles, sure, you know, let Russ cook and all of that nonsense. But if you want to win football games, then, you know, play some defense, run the football, keep your, keep the opposing defense off balance by being able to run the football and then throw over the top when you got two spectacular wide receivers, and now a, an incredible talent at tight end. The Seahawks now have, obviously, in DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and, and now Noah Fant as well. So I, I would agree with that that premise. Um, you, you talked about a lot of different uh, quarterbacks there. You know, to me, really quickly with Desmond Ritter, one of the things I really like about him, and maybe some of our listeners may not know, is the fact that he was a four-year starter. As you mentioned, Cincinnati did become, uh, you know, 
they, they arrived on the national scene um, th this past season, becoming the first non-Power 5 team to, to make the playoffs. Um, you know, and, and that is because of Desmond Ritter. They, they went to Sugar Bowl the year before that and played Georgia, that same Georgia defense that wound up now you know, being the national champions. I mean, there's not many quarterbacks out there. And I'm not going to say that Ritter was dynamic against Georgia, and he certainly was not dynamic against Alabama in the playoff this past year. But he did compete against both of them. He has seen competition at its highest level. Um, and, and so I am encouraged by him. I'll, I'll mention another player, Matt Corral. We just kind of brushed over him for a moment. To me, he's the other candidate here in the first round. Um, and, and what I really like about Corral is his accuracy specifically on the in-breaking routes, like slants, like quick posts, uh, things like that. And those, I think, are going to wind up becoming more of a staple of this Seattle offense, at least if Shane Waldron's iteration of this offense is similar to what we saw previously, of course, with Sean McVay. And we don't know that for sure because Russell Wilson obviously has his own strengths and weaknesses. And, and, and certainly Shane Waldron was going to uh, you know, tailor his offense a little bit to Wilson's strengths and weaknesses. But if you kind of go back to what the Rams have historically done uh, with McVay and Waldron, then they've just absolutely attacked the middle of the field. And so just looking at how accurate that corral is with the, the RPOs, how quickly he gets the ball out, he's, a, he's an athlete himself. And again, his accuracy on those slants in particular is, in my opinion, the most accurate of any quarterback in any route uh, in this year's draft class. And so we always talk about how Pete Carroll and John Shaw like to find guys who are unique, guys who are special in some way. He's special in that way. And, and so I think that he has to be another quarterback that we consider. And the, the fact that we're mentioning four or five, six different quarterbacks, I don't think is an argument that there's not a quarterback in this class. I think it just depends on what do you specifically want to do. And the fact that Seattle has had some success at drafting quarterbacks, obviously, with this current regime, I think that Seahawks fans should be encouraged, not, not concerned, uh, about Seattle drafting a quarterback, either it be this year or next year. When they do go for a quarterback, I think that they're going to hit right because that's what then their history has shown. Yeah, and you mentioned you know the possibility 2023 might be when they go for a quarterback. Maybe they don't swing the fences at all at the QB position. I would be really surprised, though, if they get through next month's draft and they haven't picked somebody. So let's think about if John Schneider decides, you know what, I've got four picks in the first three rounds. I'm not going to use any of those on quarterback. I'm going to build the rest of my roster. I'm going to go get me some offensive line help, pass rushers, corners, maybe another receiver, a running back, you name it, just anything non-quarterback. Going to just build the roster around whoever that next QB is. If they get to day three, who is one quarterback that wasn't on our list that you think could make sense for Seattle that maybe potentially could be a long-term answer at the position? You know, Corbin, I, I just don't follow directions very well. And you asked me for one quarterback, I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you a guy that in the, in, the, in the fourth to fifth round that I think makes some sense, a guy who in that fifth to sixth round makes some sense, and a guy who maybe seventh round, maybe even undrafted free agent makes some sense. Uh, you know, Caleb Ellaby from Western Michigan. Um, we talked about before what dynamic wide receivers that, that Seattle has. Of course, one of those that you're hoping – um, you know, is going to be the, the draft pick from last year, D. Eskridge. And what an easy way to make sure that you have some camaraderie um, there in, in selecting his, his former quarterback. Caleb Ellaby is a, he's an interesting guy. He can, he can sling the ball around the field a little bit. So to me, he's an interesting day three guy. I like E.J. Perry, small school kid out of Brown. 
um, who worked out very well at the combine, got himself some buzz there. But I was more impressed by uh, his play at, at, uh, in Las Vegas at the East West Shrine Bowl, had an opportunity to watch him there. I really thought the Iowa State's Brock Purdy was going to be the quarterback who I'd leave that all-star game kind of buzzing about. And instead, Brown, or excuse me, Perry, EJ Perry for the um, for Brown was the the quarterback that really caught my attention. And then if we're going to talk about some of these small school guys, Corbin, then the guy in Cheney, Washington, uh, Eric Berrier for Eastern Washington Eagles, you want to talk about a guy who is just a dynamic athlete, can do just about everything that you've ever wanted. How this guy was not invited to the combine or one of the all-star games is absolutely beyond me. Uh, he is a guy who is exciting and, and the Seahawks certainly know about. So I think that he's somebody that we should be mentioning here a little bit as well. Two quick names. I'm not going to go three, but since you cheated, I'll cheat and throw out two names here. As far as your fourth and fifth round range, Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky. And I know there's reservations. He does not have a big arm. We saw that at the senior bowl. That is a concern but such a prolific passer, really good decision maker. I think he has underrated mobility in the pocket. Not going to be a scrambler necessarily, but he knows how to move around the pocket and create passing opportunities for himself, extend plays. I just think that he's a kid that offers a lot of intrigue, and you know he can sling the ball around the yard. He might not have the biggest arm, but he's accurate. He knows how to get the football to his playmakers. He can play that point guard role that Pete Carroll absolutely is looking for at the quarterback position in late rounds. I've thrown this name around a few times. Dustin Crum, who played at Kent State, he led Kent State to two bowl games in his three years as a starter. I believe they had only had they had only gone to two bowl games their entire history before he came on campus. You want to talk about another player that his arrival caused the ascendance of what's normally been a lowly program in the MAC. Crum's got some athleticism. He can run the football. He can throw off platform a little bit. I actually would say he might have a little bigger arm than what Bailey Zappi does now. His anticipation skills, his accuracy and things like that, not quite on par. But that would be a guy late on day three could make a lot of sense for the Seahawks to at least take a flyer on. And if you get the proper coaching, maybe down the road could play some snaps for you on Sundays. Yeah, he absolutely could. And that's the thing is that there are some intriguing quarterback, you know, that there's, there's a general manager. I, I still talk to every now and then, and, and he just basically says, you know what? It's funny that everybody talks about this quarterback class is so good. This quarterback class is so bad, you know, according to his very unscientific analytics, there's basically about three quarterbacks per year. You kind of look it up. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy how it works out about three quarterbacks per year that wind up actually playing pretty good football for teams, but they not necessarily those guys that get drafted in the first round. A lot of times they're guys that get drafted in the middle rounds, late rounds, wind up kind of resurfacing in the NFL a few years later. Where did this guy come from? Where did Jimmy Garoppolo come from? Guys like that who, who just kind of get their opportunity years down the line and then pop. And, and so that's the thing is that I do think that there are some quarterbacks in this class that Seattle could take advantage of. And then again, having two first round picks in next year's quarterback class that is expected to be much better. Should Seattle decide to wait until 2023, make it a full 30 years uh, since their, their last first round draft pick, I feel very confident they'll be able to get the quarterback to put this uh, team back on the upward path. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure to make your second listen to Locked on NFL Draft Podcast with Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker. They bring the NFL Draft to life every day. With insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices, it's free. 
and available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, streaming five days a week video form on YouTube. Coming up on our Wednesday episode, we're going to continue our two-part series looking at some of the best draft classes that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have had in their 12 prior seasons with the Seahawks. And we're going to shift gears to the defensive side of the football, checking out some cornerbacks for this year's draft class. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.